BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Eliza Pressman, and I'm thrilled to welcome back Dr. Sunia Luther who after doing decades of resilience research, which has shown that the single most important thing that helps children do well in spite of high pressure and stress and adversity is having strong supportive relationships with those who take care of them. And because of that, Dr. Luther has brought the same approach in working with moms who are facing different types of daily stress work in demanding settings, or their whole job is working in the demanding setting of the household. For all of those moms, she's taken the research and put it into practice by creating nonprofit groups where moms can have and find authentic connections. Dr. Luther's research is so pioneering in the fields of resilience and vulnerability in various populations including youth in poverty, children and families affected by mental illness, teens in upper middle class families. Her research has been focused on motherhood as of late, very specifically. So we are talking about in this episode, motherhood as a proxy for whoever the primary caregiver is. But in many ways, there's just a very specific thing about motherhood. And that's what she's exploring and exploring factors that best help mothers negotiate the challenges of motherhood and be able to best support their children. Sunia was also my first mentor at Columbia. So this is always so special for me. And I'm really excited to share this episode with you. And you can find in the show notes ways of learning more about her work and connecting with authentic connections. If you enjoy this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a review. And as always, please DM me on at Raising Good Humans podcast on my Instagram, and I will take those questions and put them either in my monthly Q&A or on videos and stories and Instagram, but I will get to them. And I'm so happy that you're here. So what's really fascinating is that the whole field of child development has been turned on its head, as it were. All these decades, what we've always been taught is 
these are the kinds of behaviors that parents should strive for or teachers should strive, or adults basically should strive for in order to make a child oh, healthy, be resilient, what have you. So where we've come to now, and this is thanks to this uh, wonderful report called Vibrant and Healthy Kids uh, from the National Academies of Science, Engineering and Medicine. Where we've come to now is an unequivocal statement that goes as follows. If you want a child facing adversity to do well and show resilience that is in the face of this adversity, the first most important thing to do is to ensure the well-being of the primary caregiver, who is usually the mother. And that in turn is done how? Just like kids need support in order to do well, guess what? The same thing applies to us. So bottom line is, if you look at where, what, the, what the statement of fact is, it's a fact, it's, it's unequivocal. Any kind of adversity you look at, whether it's long-term or short-term, poverty or COVID, divorce or parental depression, you name it, any kind of adversity, there's one principle that holds true, which is if the child is to do well, you have to make sure that that primary adult who's taking care of them is doing well, which means dependable, regular support for that caregiver. Being a parent is very, very hard work at the best of times. Being a parent now, today, after these 18 months of pandemic, political issues, unrest in the country, continued pandemic, school closures and opening, the level of anxiety, (laughs) exactly, the level of anxiety and grief is just so high. So for parents today to try and maintain that sense of equanimity and serenity and balance is enormously difficult, I would think. So then the question becomes, as I'm sure you you may remember, Lisa, this paper I wrote about five years ago called Who Mother's Mommy? Mm -hmm. It's sometimes just even a rhetorical question because too often, all too often, mothers do not get enough of the kind of beautiful love that they can give their children when they are at their best. So the question becomes, where do you, Eliza, get that kind of supportive, loving, dependable, kind, nurturing, replenishing love? Where do you get that? Not from a therapist. So if you remember Amy Werner's big study on resilience, which is partly what launched the field, she wrote uh, maybe 30, 40 years ago that For a child, again, facing adversity, to have good psychotherapy is great, but this is the way I put it, nothing heals like love in real life. Mm -hmm. So her point was, therapy is great, but really there's nothing that that can beat having, let's say, a mentor or family member, an adult whose eyes light up, who's, who's very invested in this child being a happy, healthy human being. And the same principle, again, holds true for us that you can get the world's finest psychotherapist and be in therapy. God knows I've had my own psychotherapy, (laughs) you know, so I'm all for psychotherapy and I do it. But that said, there is something about when you speak, Aliza, and you talk about something that's weighing on you or that's making you grieve and you see these four or five other faces 
immediately filled with concern and care for you. It's like instantaneously gratification, instantaneously you get that embracing, if you will. And that is what we need now to put in place to make sure it is there for every single mom as far as possible. And the way we do that is in in groups. I have more. Yeah. Um, And then we will absolutely go into groups because there's a way to put this into action. And I think one of your great strengths, because you're a researcher and this doesn't always happen in research world, is that you have always been able to say, this is the research and now what? Yeah. Yes. Yes. And that is critical because otherwise it's just really interesting. And sometimes interesting and daunting. And so let's pull away. We know we need to figure out who's taking care of mom mm-hmm. or caregiver. And and I should say that we are going to say mom a lot, but it's that's a proxy for whoever the primary caregiver is. So it's not to make anybody else feel unseen. Rather, it's just a, an easy, quick, quick and dirty way of saying it. But who is taking care of mom? But what I want to figure out first is how has the the latest report, how does it come across when you're talking to moms? Like who really believes it in action and how can you get people to understand what it really means that mom has to do well? Because you you said something important, which is when you look at any of the things that we might talk about, depression, divorce, like name a challenge, that would be, the first question would be, you know, if a parent came to you and said, what do I do for my kid? The first thing you might say is about how you're handling it. I guess, how do we help moms understand what that means so that the burden isn't to smile through all of this? That's not what you're talking about at all. So I want to really unpack what it means to be doing okay. Mm. There's several interesting issues that come up when you ask that question. But the first thing that occurred to me is that we as mothers ourselves are sometimes, if not often, if not usually, reluctant to prioritize ourselves and say, yes, I need that caregiving or caretaking. I need someone to hold me and love me. So this is going to be, to my mind, that's our first challenge Mm -hmm. is for us to get past that and say, just like I might schedule an hour for whatever exercise, yoga, soul, whatever spin cycle, whatever you do in the same, (laughs) or don't do and should do and try to do. In the same way, what you need to do is to say, yes, I can put an hour aside. I should put an hour aside. And this is not being self-indulgent. It is being strong and thoughtful about what this whole family needs in order to survive well. It needs for me to be doing well. So there's no question of smiling through your pain. No one wants you to do that. What I'm saying is don't smile through your pain. Don't do self-care. Be in a position where you prioritize your own being taken care of and come and get it. Does that make sense? Come and get it. Yeah, come and get it. And so there's a distinction between going to a spa. You're not talking about that. That's what I think I want to get into. Yeah. So people tell me often, ah, so Dr. Luther, you're telling moms to take better care of themselves. And I say, absolutely not. I'm not adding one more thing for them to put on their to-do list. So that's number one. 
But number two, going to a spa is physical relaxation, perhaps even some mental relaxation that happens. That is not the same as the kind of solace and comfort that you get from somebody loving you, right? If you put yourself in a child's shoes, you have a six-year-old or a 10-year-old who comes to you for comfort and you say, yes, darling, my love, and you give the hug and you say the comforting, reassuring words. That the child is not going to get from doing an hour of yoga or being in a spa. You see what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if it works for kids that way, I keep saying this, it's exactly the same thing for us. We need to feel exactly that same affect, emotion, caring that that we want, want our children to have. And if you're struggling to figure out what that looks like, like what if there's a mom listening who's like, I can't imagine someone's eyes lighting up um, when I walk into the room or who I would go to to just voice my worries or my joys. What can you say to those moms? Yeah, so, you know, you remember the paper, uh, Who Mother's Mommy? Oftentimes when I was writing that paper, I would ask people like my friends, my colleagues, young women, who mothers you? And I frequently, the answer would be nobody. Often, be, some would say my mother, my sister, my friend, my husband. But all too often, right, all too often I got the nobody. So there's at least an awareness that there is something like being mothered. And some of us are feeling like we don't get it. So just asking someone that question. If you, if you want a woman to figure out, or, or man, we're running men's groups too, by the way. Uh, if you want them to understand what, what is this emotion you're talking about, just ask them, who mothers you? And they'll understand immediately what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I want to get into this relational approach, yeah. but I realize that we I didn't give you a chance to talk about, I mean, basically, we need to stop telling parents what to you know, what's not working Mm -hmm. because that's maybe just making it feel even worse. Yeah. It's not really about not acknowledging what we know in research. It's not about that, but it's about stopping the finger pointing and starting to have solutions. Yeah. The the finger pointing drives me nuts. It doesn't help anybody. So, you know, saying that you're too quick to rescue, any kind of doesn't help at all. You, you you said, tell a parent what to do. This is not working. This is wrong. And I oftentimes I'll ask this question too. If you have 10 moms sitting in the room and you describe a scenario, your child did this and broke a bunch of plates and it was the end of the day and you'd said to be careful, those were your best plates and what should you do? And everybody will say, well, you appreciate the child is going to help. And, you know, certainly what you don't, don't do, what shouldn't you do? And then they'll all say, well, don't yell at the kid. Don't be mad. Try and keep your temper. Tell me, do you agree with me or not? About that that would be said? That would be, exactly. (laughs) That's my point. All of us know what we should do and what we should not do. Right. And then the feelings happen when your beautiful plates are broken and that's that. That's that. And the anger is understandable. The hurt and pain is understandable in different situations. So it's just a question of, I say just it's really quite hard to get women to that point, but to to acknowledge that you have a right to feel hurt and disappointed and you not just have a right to, but it is essential that you take that hurt and disappointment and worry and grief and share it with someone. 
earlier as you were talking, you mentioned something about uh, whom can I go to? So in our uh, authentic connections groups, we actually have this notion of go-to people that we start early in the program. Everybody has to identify who's your go-to person, one, two people. And what's that go-to person, Elisa, is someone with whom you feel psychologically safe. Now, I might ask you, so who's your go-to? And say, Sonia, I, you know, I'm not sure I'd pick anybody with that full-blown definition right now. My answer would be, no, no worries. We'll start small. Start with someone. At least you don't feel anxious. You, know, you don't feel afraid about you feel. And we'll build from that from there. So that's the whole beginning of that journey toward forging these, this network, what some people say about the intervention, this blanket of love, this blanket of love that then stays with you. The intervention comes and it goes. But by the time you're done, you're left with this blanket of love, which then you get to keep and use. How, how wonderful is that? How wonderful is that? And how hard is it to imagine as an adult, maybe it's not, maybe it's easy, easy, easy. I, when you said someone with whom you feel psychologically safe, that's very easy for me Uh to, I know exactly who I'm thinking of. And you're a very easy person to feel psychologically safe Mm -hmm. with. There are people though, that we know we're not psychologically safe with. And one of the worst things that happens with me is if somebody says to me, oh, I'm so embarrassed to see you like this because of how I responded to my kid or because you're seeing, you know, you're catching something. It's so devastating because it's like, I never want anybody to feel that way around me, right? Like you never want to bring out someone's need to please or to have done a better job as a parent. That is so not the healthy thing that I was going for when I started in this work. But to really be able to think who is someone that I am psychologically safe with and also to figure out, well, if I don't have that person, there's somewhere to find it. Mm-hmm. That is enormous. And I and I don't want to overemphasize how healthy that also is for kids. But mm-hmm. I mean, what a gift if you never really thought about psychological safety, that's a really easy one to then translate to what an important relationship you can have with your child if they're psychologically safe, right? And and how can you have that if you don't, as an adult, know what that feels like? Yeah. So, you know, this question, Eliza, you asked about how to help um, uh, moms or anyone visualize what does this look like? PBS made a little feature on groups. I was running them in person and virtually, and they filmed this. So it's on our website uh, on the main page. There's a little, I think, what, maybe six, seven minute segment. If you go to that, you see how it actually feels to be in the room with that warmth and kindness enveloping you. That is not just the, by any means, the facilitator, but that has become a norm for all these women. It's like learning a different language. Become a norm for all these women with whom you meet every day, every week for, for three months. I love that. I'll put that in the show notes so people can link to it. But I just love the idea of learning a new language. It is because we're not. We're so guilt, Aliza, is the universal experience of motherhood. We all know guilt so well. We're very fluent in that language. Very fluent in that language. It doesn't take a PhD in developmental clinical psych to tell us, hey, you may not be doing this right. That voice is in most of our heads all the time. This is what we're not nearly as conversant in is this other language, which is the softness and the pureness and the kindness and the gentleness that should come to you 
Ugh. I never can get through a conversation without getting choked up around you. <laughs> I agree. It's a real worry. This is a totally separate thing. But so many of the comments and questions and concerns that come from moms are looking for direct, do this yeah. answers, like do this for your kids or with your kids or in response to your kids. And how do you even balance? This is me actually speaking to you as a mentor. Mm-hmm. I mean, you as the mentor, <laughs> as I, me as the mentee. Yeah. But like, I am so torn about the balance between giving enough support to, to satisfy and make life easier for that mom in that moment. And also recognizing what you're saying, which is that's minutia. That stuff is minutia that helps us feel better in that moment. But what's the more important, bigger picture? That's what you're talking about. Yeah. So I'll get to that. You always ask the best questions, Eliza, but Forgive me, I'm going to go back to what you said before this. Absolutely. Which which is that you get choked up. And can we just reflect upon what it is that leaves both you and me? I'm sitting on this end feeling a little choked up. What was evoked? I can remember what I was saying. The language that we need to learn is what we each, you and I, deserve, must have, which is that ongoing dependable kindness and love and gentleness. I believe that's the point at which we both looked at each other and why. There's an important reason to understand why they're choked up. Because there's a yearning. Mm, Thank you for answering it. Yes, there's a yearning. There's a yearning, which just because I'm going to be 63 in a few months, just because I have white hair, I'm 63 years old, it doesn't go away. We all want to need it. And it's paradoxical, Elisa, the more educated you are and the more competent you are and the more everything, you're that much less likely to reach out for that kind of support because you're supposed to be strong and invincible and in control and got it all together. So that is something that I think we're all going to need to come to grips with. And the second issue is, I'll get to your question about balance in a second, is just to acknowledge that I think another thing we all have in common is there's a fear. There's a fear. If I open up to you and start getting this blanket of love from my, what happens if I can't put myself back together? What happens if I just collapse in a puddle of, you know? Raw nerves of... Yes. And the answer to that is yes, it's a bit scary, but we always take it in baby steps. We always go slow. There's no jumping into the deep end. That doesn't work. You go slowly. And and that's, again, all about psychological safety. Now, having gone on this, it's not a tangent because this is very important. If anyone's considering doing this, to be aware that you will feel this choking. You will feel this anxiety about, can I really open up and put myself back together? So be reassured that attention will be paid to that. And take that first tiny little baby step. By now, you guys know that I love Gemist. It is so smart for busy moms who don't have time for anything. It takes no time to figure out the product you want. It's like a 20-second quiz. And then there's a subscription service, which takes into account how often you wash your hair, how long your hair is, how thick your hair is. 
So that is why I love Chemist. And their algorithm matched me with the best shampoo and conditioner. I matched with Shampoo 5, which is best for smoothing hair and detangling. And it also increases my volume by 42%. 42%, which I haven't seen since I teased my hair in the 80s and before I had children. And so much of my hair came out. So I also matched with Conditioner 12, which strengthens hair by 72%, reduces hair breakage by 42%, and increases shine by 40%. Plus, all of Gemma's products are used color safe. It's really good stuff. And did I mention Gemist is women-owned? It has a subscription service where you save 20% off on every order with Smart Subscribe, and you get free shipping. There are free returns. The ingredients are free of sulfates. They're free of parabens. They're free of dye. They are never tested on animals. And it is manufactured in the U.S. And I love how it smells. So... If you are ready to have the best hair ever, try Gemist. And right now, my listeners can give Gemist a try and get 20% off their shampoo and conditioner smart subscription. Smart subscribers already save 20% on each order. So this is an amazing deal on top of that. And with free two-day shipping, you can have it by Monday. Just visit Gemist.com to get your personalized recommendation and enter RGH at checkout for 20% off your subscription and free two-day shipping. That's gemist.com, G-E-M-M-I-S-T.com, and enter the code R-G-H at checkout to get the best hair ever. This episode is brought to you in part by MZ Wallace. Make the most out of every day. MZ Wallace is a chic, innovative line of bags and accessories that are designed to do more, whether that means more traveling, more fitness, or more efficient commute, or just more fun. Whether it's a multitasking tote for the office or a hands-free crossbody for running around with your kids, try an MZ Wallace bag for yourself and discover the class-leading quality, lightweight, innovative design, and the style that will make your all-day, everyday bag awesome. The MZ Wallace co-founders started the brand after years of working in the fashion industry and realizing that the bag they needed one that could stand up to everything on their schedule from getting to school in the morning, working out to an evening on date night didn't exist. So they set out to create it themselves. You'll find pockets where you need them, lightweight stain and water resistant materials that are easy to wipe clean and so many other smart design details that you didn't even know you needed, like a place for your phone and secret compartments so you don't lose your keys. MZ Wallace believes that great design isn't just how something looks, but how it works. From their high-quality, long-lasting materials to their timeless style, have an MZ Wallace bag by your side so that you can be prepared to take on your day. The bag I have is the Metro Tote Silhouette. It has a luggage sleeve, two exterior pockets, two zippered collar pockets, a removable adjustable crossbody strap, it's ready for everything, wherever your day takes you. It has a zip top enclosure so that you don't drop your bag and spill everything out. Even reinforced padded nylon handles if your shoulders start to hurt because your bag gets too heavy. They've really thought of everything. And inside, it also fits a 13-inch laptop, has a bunch of interior pockets, and a detachable pouch for when you don't need to bring everything with you. 
even a phone pocket and a keyring strap, they thought of everything. This is like mom's being efficient in action. MZ Wallace is offering Raising Good Humans listeners 15% off your first purchase. Just go to mzwallace.com slash humans. That's mzwallace.com slash humans for 15% off your first purchase. MZ Wallace, designed to do more. Feeling your best starts with what you put into your body. And Sakara gives you the ability to not just eat healthy, truly enjoy it, but also with very little work from your end. So they have chef-crafted, plant-rich meals that build a foundation for radiant health. And instead of imposing restrictions and limits, you just nourish your body and give it more of what it really needs. Sakara believes in giving you more of what's good for you. Sakara is a nutrition company that focuses on overall wellness, starting with what you eat. They have organic ready to eat meals that are made with powerful plant-based ingredients and are designed to boost your energy, improve your digestion and get your skin glowing. Along with delicious plant-rich meals, Sakara also offers daily wellness essentials like supplements and herbal teas to support your nutrition. Experience the power of plants with their best-selling metabolism super powder made with organic raw cacao It works to boost energy, eliminate bloating, minimize sugar cravings, and reduce fatigue. And right now, Saqqara is offering our listeners 20% off their first order when you go to saqqara.com slash RGH or enter the code RGH at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash RGH to get 20% off your first order. Sakara.com slash RGH. Now to your point about how do you balance. Care for yourself with your obligations and duties and responsibilities as a wife, mother, whatever. There's not much that one is asking of you, Elisa. If you take our groups as an example, one hour a week for three months led to decrease in burnout among physicians of the Mayo Clinic, decreases in depression, parenting stress, in cortisol, the stress hormone, it obviously in parenting behaviors, this has been documented again and again and again. So if I can somehow tell you, I will send you the scientific papers. There are four or five, six, it's in the national academies. Give yourself that one hour a week, get this, and then you will find half the things that would get on your nerves and feel so daunting will feel a lot easier because you have your safe space to go to and you know that it's there. Yeah. No, I mean, a lot of the things that we do want to take the time to figure out how to manage, I'm saying that in quotes, but would not even be a thought if we had the time to get ourselves centered and feel seen and feel like we're not, you know, Frazzled. Frazzled. Yes. By, by the small stuff. Exactly. And And then wanting to know the exact right thing to say about the small things would not be there. Yeah. So I was just talking to a student of mine actually this morning. We were speaking about conflict or disagreements between, let's say, employee, employer, anyone. And I'm not sure if I've said this to you, but I often say it when there is a disagreement with someone you love, whether it's a mother to a child or to a partner or anyone, don't bring it up when you're either of you is frazzled or stressed or exhausted because why the conversation will never go well. 
if you start, start off at that point. Then move to the next point then. Look at COVID. Look at the last 18 months. If nothing else, they just the continuing uncertainty that we all face, right? That is a recipe for frazzledness for all of us, right? Mm-hmm. I, I say that we're all somewhere between here, which is okay, and here, which is disintegrating and unraveling. Mm-hmm. So just the level of stress is so high. And then you're coming uh, like running on fumes through parenting behaviors. How can anyone expect you to be? So you get what I'm saying. Invest in this because the spillover benefits are so great. Here's another uh, example I'll give you. We tested this intervention of similar kind with substance abusing moms uh, in methadone clinics. This was 20 years ago. And the same principle feeling loved, heard, and whatnot. And do you know, after the intervention, their levels of substance abuse decreased. Their ratings of parenting behaviors by their children improved. So it's back to that conceptual model, Eliza. Picture you as a circle in the middle and your well-being and imagine different arrows radiating from your well-being. That would be your functioning as a mom, as a parent, this and that, work and whatnot. All of that comes right back to that circle, which is your well-being. What comes into that circle, that circle is you're being taken care of. Am I making sense? So that's the conceptual way. If, if you want to say, well, I can't even imagine what this, why, how? And this is the why. This is the why and how. Everything, all roads lead back to that circle. So if you're taking baby steps and someone's listening and they're thinking, have I? So the first step is asking yourself, have I taken care of myself in this way? Who is it that I can turn to? Or is that something that I even have in my life? Are those even the right questions? Well, the first one, <laughs> I almost talked to you when you said that. I know. I, am I, I taking care it. of myself? Right. right. So we don't do we don't, it's not am I prioritizing being taken care of? Right. So yes. and that is the right question to ask. Am I thinking of that as right up there as a top priority? in terms of how I run my family. And for people who are listening, thinking, I just am surviving. Like, how is this not burdensome? I hear you. How can I make the time for it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Even though it's worth it, even though I'm sold on the fact that it would be better, I feel burdened. I just have to get lunches packed. I have to get everything done. I have to cook dinner. I have to get out the door. I have to get to work. I have to do, here's my list or I have to, get my child to, you know, like people who didn't have to take their kids to school now have to take the, you know, like we're all regrouping. How do you take all that frazzled survival stuff Mm -hmm. and translate it to finding a way to check in with prioritizing your well-being so that you can actually do all the things that you think are impossible? So, so one of our papers, Eliza, was on uh, virtual groups that we ran. I actually ran them before COVID. Fortuitously, they happened. And one of the groups had a bunch of women in very, very sort of, uh, for lack of a better word, important career roles. Mm-hmm. And they were moms too. So just like what you're saying, that a, a bazillion yeah. And when they're asked, so what did you, what would you like about these groups? So how would, why would you recommend them if you would? One of them said, you know, these groups may keep me accountable for getting what I know I should get, but I don't do myself. 
It, I, I know it's when it's in my calendar here, I have to be in group and I have to report back to the group what I did last week to connect with my go-to person. It keeps me accountable. So that's number one. But number two is, you know, Lisa, ask yourself honestly, really? You're saying you can't take one hour a week? One I mean, how much time do you spend on, you know, on well, yoga or meditation or uh-huh. whatever it is you do to watching Netflix? Mm-hmm. So you, I do not believe that any woman, however busy you are, cannot carve out that one hour a week. Does it feel just like it's indulgent? I want to drill this home because I want to make sure everybody gets like buys into it. But is it the feeling of like, if I carve it out intentionally, it's indulgent. But if I just find myself at midnight scrolling through online shopping, I'm not going to really do. It was just me chilling myself out. Yeah, it is not indulgent. What you will do is look at this report, which you can download on the internet for free. It's called Vibrant and Healthy Kids. I'll put it in the show notes. Sure. So look at it and it'll tell you. And I often say this to women or men, if you don't want to do it for yourself, I hate to say this, do it for your kids. Well, I, you know, I mean, I I think for better or for worse, that's the whole pitch because we work here because we're thinking about raising our kids and the crazy irony of forgetting about ourselves in that process. What Mm -hmm. you're saying is you can't think about your kids and forget about yourself. Yeah. So let's stick with that Kant for a second, because so far we've been speaking about all the benefits of this safety and love and so on. Let's go to the other side and imagine that you are frazzled and are grieving and are anxious and so on. What happens then? Again, I'll point you to research on kids of moms who are depressed or anxious. They actually fare more, we found, fared more poorly than kids of moms who were substance abusers. So on one hand, you had low income, multiple psychiatric disorders, oftentimes substance abusers. On the other side is more sort of middle class, oftentimes usually married, women with histories of depression, anxiety. And it was the latter, kids of the latter group that were more troubled. Now you ask me why. Can you think of why would a kid of depressed parents or depressed mom be worse off? I don't, do you have any thoughts you want to share? That well, I could cheat a little because this was something that you already taught me in graduate school. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't change. I don't change. Uh, go ahead, cheat. But well, I want to clarify one thing though. Mm-hmm. Are we talking about untreated or treated? Oh, no, no, untreated. Un- I, that's what I wanted to just be yes. specific about I mean, listen, so that nobody panicked. <laughs> please, I don't know any human being who hasn't been depressed. It's certainly not after COVID. Yeah. You know, so, we must talk over that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is just to clarify to, yeah. to your point why this is so powerful. And if you can't predict what you're walking into in the place that is supposed to be psychologically safe, the relationship with your, I'm going to say mother again, but again, mm-hmm. that's a proxy. Mm-hmm because there's untreated anxiety or depression, that's a very different feeling than for a child who knows what to expect and knows what is happening. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. With with the substance abuse, you see the evidence, the bottle is there, you know. The bottle is there, right. You know know what you're getting into. Unfortunately, Elisa, with depression and anxiety, which I want to, I'm so glad, glad you said what you did, has to be underlined. All of us, I put myself first on the front of the queue, have struggled with anxiety and depression. I have many times in my life, 
And certainly this whole, I keep saying this, 18 months has not been easy. So for anyone to feel like, oh my goodness, I shouldn't be, put that, perish that thought. It, the point is to, to help address it. Now to your second, why is it so frightening? Because this feels like a, a gray cloud the child cannot put their finger on what exactly is happening. I know, mom, something's off. I don't know what it is. I don't know. I feel like I need to help. I don't know how to help. So that's one problem. The other is, you know, and I know when we're feeling stressed and down and out, our tempers tend to be shorter. Our fuses tend to be shorter. We can snap. We can judge. We can even say unkind things. So it's, you know, so I'm going to... I'm going to now the why the the negatives of what, what can happen if we don't take care of our own psychological well-being. So what is this relational approach in the literature? One of the women in my last group said it very nicely. It's an opportunity to be remothered in some ways, because go back to what I was saying to you, Aliza, having these are the people who you see regularly with that caring and concern and love that you depend on. That is a theory behind it. It is really what resilience research has shown us across 60 years now. It's just a given. For a child to do well, you have to have that, that dependable support. It's the same thing for adults to do well. They must have it. There's no mystery behind it anymore. It's very straightforward. What they need, you need. Right. This can be boiled down to what they need, you need. You're exactly. right. Yeah. So we're bending ourselves inside and out and twisting ourselves. I, I can't think of the, the saying, yeah. but we're we're getting ourselves all twisted up to provide exactly what we think children need. And it's just so straightforward to imagine this is just what they need, we need. And it's very much relational. You know, love, I think, you know, when you said we're twisting ourselves into these pretzel shapes and what should, we should do and shouldn't do. That, that's what I meant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it goes back to there's so much judgment of parents that is floating around, you know, so it's almost like you can't win. I feel like parents are walking on a tightrope saying I'm being overindulgent or I'm being underindulgent. Or that's not right. The extremes. I mean, labels. Exactly. And you're beset with these websites that are telling you this is what's wrong with parents these days. And so how can you blame? This is us. This is our fault, partly. The scientists' fault. The developmental researchers' fault. And the people who write for parents. It's on us to say, no, that's not the issue. That's not the core issue. Yeah, sure, you can be a little overprotective and that's not the best idea. But if you want to really do the right thing, first, most important is this. Mm -hmm. And the others are much more extraneous. Yeah, and if they make you feel like shit, you should shut them off, myself included. I say that all the time. Like if something that I'm saying is ever making you feel worse as a parent, it's not helpful and it's not ever, it's not serving you or your child. Now, it's not that we're saying don't listen to any of the research because- you know, there's helpful stuff out there, but if you take it to the point where what you're hearing is just what a crappy mom you are and yeah. that you need to do more, then it defeats the purpose. So let, let me let me yeah. ask you this again, this question. So when someone says something that makes you feel like a crappy mom, why is it a struggle to turn it off? I mean, unfortunately, there's a culture of criticizing ourselves to feel better about ourselves. It's a horrible cycle or hearing, you know, taking the the beating to feel like you're a martyr mom. I don't know. 
Yeah, yeah. You know, you're right. You because you're. It's like you would be swimming upstream if you weren't. If ever everyone says, "Look, parenting is just being done wrong," and yeah. here's all the ways in which you're doing it wrong. Don't get me wrong. There are some things that are wrong. You know, you cannot be abusive, whether right. that's physically abusive, smacking the child, or emotionally. Or abusive. Emotionally. You know, yeah. I wish you were X, Y, Z. I hate you, or any such ugly words that. We are all capable of. Let's again be honest about that. Each one of us is capable of being quite unkind and even cruel when we're at our wit's end. Of course. Of we're course. all capable of that. So I'm not saying that there's, there's, we can do no wrong by any means that we can do plenty wrong. That said, we, I mean, researchers, scientists, developmental scientists need to back off a little bit on saying, do this, do that, do, don't do this, don't do that. And stay focused on what the National Academies of Science has said. Take care of these people who are doing this gargantuan task of trying to raise children, which in itself, as I keep saying, being a parent is so humbling. It's so difficult. And anything we can do to support you, that is our job Mm -hmm. on this end to support you. And that is the struggle. I know for me, my finding that balance between if it's supportive to give information that might help your day be easier than I want to give it, but not if you think that the information is somehow, if you don't do it, you're a crappy mom. And I think to your point, like there are some things that we know are really important. Like don't be emotionally or physically abusive. That is Mm. critical, Mm. but somehow it does get translated. That's why like, I don't like when people overuse things. Like if you yelled at your kid or gave them a timeout, you're shaming them and they're going to go into a spiral of becoming a shitty adult who hates themselves. You just, you blew it for the minute. Who cares? Uh Like there is so much out there. That's like, here's why this is terrible to do as a parent. Mm -hmm. Like that statement is damaging. And it is. What you just said also. Okay. So you blew it as a parent, the power of an apology to a child can be enormous. So just go back to the kid and say, you know what? I was having a really crappy day yesterday. It wasn't your fault, really. I overreacted and I'm so sorry about that. And that repair is so huge. Exactly. It's almost like a psychotherapist apologizing to you and saying, I messed up. That was my fault. There's something very healing about that that interaction. The other thing I want to say, Aliza, when you're thinking about parenting behaviors, and I keep talking about the tightrope now that all of you are, thank God I'm not walking it. My kids are grown. So (laughs) I don't have to walk quite as much of a tightrope. But that's what part of what your go-to committee is for, is to talk about these things and saying, wait, am I overreacting by saying no cell phone or no sleepovers? Am I? And these are people who know you, who know what your values are, And they are the people with whom you have this conversation and they will reassure you as you will reassure them or you will guide them and say, you know what, Sonia, that that was uncalled for. Just back off and don't do that again and go apologize. (laughs) Yeah. But you feel safe hearing it from them because this is a trusted community versus someone who feels like they're saying you did it again. You blew it again. You're terrible. Yeah. You know, that's the other part of who your go-to people are. Love uh, people who will tell you kindly, you have spinach in your teeth. You know, <laughs> that's a great, that's a great gauge, you know, just very mm-hmm. kindly. They don't want you to do anything that is going to be bad for you. In other words, they have your best interest at heart and will care enough to tell you honestly, I know, Aliza, no, Sonia, that one is maybe you should back off or say, 
you're fully within your rights and your child was being a brat. You know, the other thing that you said that's so important is they understand your values because sometimes like if I'm talking to someone where I don't know their values or what's important to them, who am I to say that that was the right or wrong decision? I don't know. Maybe your goal is different than what mine would be in my household. So you're having the folks who understand what your values are has a huge impact on how they might respond if you really want their honest opinion about mm-hmm. was I overreacting or not? Yeah. Is there spinach in my teeth? Is there, right. Maybe I don't care. Yeah, maybe exactly right. Maybe I don't care. Someone doesn't like it, it's their problem. You know, right. it's who I am. Uh, so, so you're absolutely right. So the thing about values and uh, Lisa, think about, I said blanket of love, a support network that is built around you with the values that are yours that you all share. Now, whether that's people in your group or outside your group, go two people outside, but you have that. Mm-hmm. And you, when you start feeling insecure about yourself as a parent, or as a professional, any, any, any insecurity, you have these people in place. It's like a bookshelf. They're there. You can always go back there and say, maybe if you call me and say, Sunia, can we talk? I'm having a lousy day. And I said, I'd love to switch up, but not today. Can we do it tomorrow? I'll come back to you tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'll come back to you sometime, but I will be honest and I will be available. And, I'll, and if I can't, I will tell you, I'm just fried myself. I have nothing to give, which is why we always need more than one. Uh, uh, it also uh, reminds me that go-to person cannot be your spouse or partner. Right. Because there are too many expectations on that relationship anyway. Yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. It has to be. And our, again, in our research, we found having good friendships is related to mom's well-being over and above the power of even a happy marriage. So you have to have those. You have to have those connections with people with whom you feel safe. It's an imperative. I will say the most beautiful friendships I've seen form, and I just can't get over it, are the friendships in the groups that, you know, I had these groups starting some of them 14, 15 years ago, and they're still together and they still meet and they still call on one another and call each other out and support each other. And it is so magical to see the power of the bonding that happens with human beings who are coming together in this committed way on a regular basis to be there for each other and have the patience to get to know each other in this psychologically safe way where, you know, you're going to be able to laugh about blowing it instead of like judge each other. And it's really magnificent, but I, I definitely think the onset was much more about teaching than it was about support. And then it just, as you said, this field is sort of turns itself on its head because, Mm -hmm. well, actually, can you talk about that a little bit before we end? How did we get here? Well, honestly, I've been pushing it myself very, very hard. This uh, (laughs) very hard. I mean, having been, yeah, with me for a couple of decades now. I just have stayed at it. We published a special section in child development, which is one of our big journals. And there were maybe half a dozen, eight, 10 people, big scientists or big research programs who wrote on different types of adversities. And they all came back to the same answer. 
So this was not me making it up. Now I got to a point of saying, okay, everybody tell us what works in your actress group. And they all came back to it. And that special section is what is sort of referred to in the National Academies report. Now, I'm not by any means the first person to say this is important, but I have been pushing at exactly what you said. We have to speak this different language. We have to, someone said to me, you're talking about a revolution here. That must need to be. I said, yes, we're talking about a revolution. So even if it's just you and I, and we can get, by the way, my group's also like yours, a year and a half, two years later, they're still meeting. So these are relationships that get forged. And, and you don't even say that they need to, like you, no, you start have a very easy yep. start, right? Yep. It's short. Can you explain it a little bit? Because people can start their own. Yeah. So the way, well, people can start their own. Uh, The difficulty with that is, again, the accountability. One, two is the fearfulness. How do we get real and genuine and raw and not sort of, you know, fall apart? Or So Mm -hmm. there is value to having a facilitator in, in, in the room. Right. Is there value to having people that already know each other or being or strangers? Yeah. Is there... There's absolutely value. I mean, watch. Yes, absolutely. But you do need to prioritize it and you do need to follow through. So if it's going to be a Tuesday evening happy hour or a Wednesday morning breakfast, whatever it is, stick to it and make sure you do it. Okay. And then if you want pointers and guidance, there's, as I said, look on our website. There's a, there's a little uh, PBS thing. There's a papers galore. I mean, there will be so many, well, there'll be links to everything in the show notes, but you can just go explore this website on your own. Not, I mean, you listening. I am making a plea to you, Aliza, and your listeners come together with us and let us try and say, these are for your daughters, for yourself, for your daughters. Let us try and move this view of motherhood into this more compassionate and gentle and kind way. It'll take all of us, a bunch of us coming together. Neither you nor I can do this mm-hmm. alone. So I welcome all the moms, women, young, young women, anyone who wants to be here and we'll, we'll make it happen. Hey, if there's Alcoholics Anonymous, no reason we can't have Moms Anonymous. <laughs> I just love taking a more compassionate view of motherhood, which is just not how motherhood has been treated. Yeah, and especially now that it just frightens me to think about what moms are going through right now with COVID. The glimmer to me of more than a glimmer of hope is that during this 18 month period, it feels like moms have come to realize, and again, all caregivers who are really in the primary spot have come to realize that this expectation and lack of compassion for this group really was not realistic Mm -hmm. and we've been really hard on ourselves. So it is ripe for like, it's the right timing because in a good way, I have noticed a real decline in perfectionist parenting. Yes. Um, There's just been an acceptance so that there is like, there's an opening for this. Excellent. So what what you're saying is we've gone from self-chastising or feeling chastised to a neutral point of less of that. Now we need to go to the positive and be filled yes. with positives. Exactly. You're absolutely right. We have, I think, moved forward a little bit, but now is the next step. 
Yeah. And, and it never feels great that we, you know, if we've moved forward in this area, it was because of a pandemic. It's good to, to do something proactive and mm-hmm. to do something proactive that moves this forward in a positive way. Yeah. It's a gift, Eliza. You know, when I'm able to, when you say to me, Sonia, I talk to you and I feel good. It fills my heart with such joy. So giving to someone else feels, feels good. Connecting with each other is not just because you need, but just giving to someone and you see them receive it with, with, with gratitude and in genuine fashion, it fills you up yourself. You are so right. And that is so much a part of, you know, we're always saying in, when you look out for other people, it fills you and it feeds you. So this is just another opportunity. I'm just thinking of all the different ways in to convince people of this, the importance of this, because I do feel compelled to like sell it. <laughs> we don't love, I, it's actually important you say that because it may not be for everybody. See, there are some women or men or whomever would say, hey, I don't like this much self-disclosure. I do not want to be raw or vulnerable with a bunch of strangers. And that's fine. I've got my mom, I've got X or Y person and I can figure it out. Thank you very much. So it is not meant for everybody. The phrase I use it, Aliza, if you're comfortable with being comforted, then it's for you. Mm. But if you are, look, I don't need help. Thank you very much. And I don't do this display of my feelings. Then this is not, this is not the right thing. (laughs) Well, I think it's incredible to have watched you go from pioneering the literature on resilience and children and all of the research that you've put out into the world for us to figure out everything that we can or that I, all the things that I care about to now completely focusing on the practice of it. Yes, yes. And making this a reality because unfortunately, research does often get stuck, Mm -hmm. as you know, more than anyone, really on the dusty shelves of academia and never anywhere else. And so to find a way to make things translate from page to stage and make it the meaningful next part of your life is quite this, extraordinary this is, to watch. This is the rest of my life. This is the rest of my career. I don't need to be writing more papers describing what's wrong. We just, we know what works. We'll do it, is my, is my attitude. Let's just go and do it now as best as we can. 